podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The share it with a friend deal even if that friend is yourself. Your McDonald's, your rules. Live your best morning with BOGO breakfast sandwiches only on the McDonald's app. Now buy one bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles or sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and get a second one free. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm joined by, once again, Russell Boyce who is standing in for Lawrence Conley and also our Tuesday regular, Natasha Mika. Welcome back, Natasha, how have you been? Great, good to be here, nice to have Russell subbed in. Welcome to the Tuesday Club, Russell. Thanks, Natasha, I appreciate it. I'm actually sick of my own opinions now, Paul. <laughs> I can't actually keep up with my own contradictions anymore, my own nonsense, so... If anything I say today is taken, please take it at face value because three days in the trot then just to get caught up in your own web of nonsense, you know what I mean? Your own web of lies and someone will pick you up on that, Russell, I'm oh, pretty yes. sure, on social media. There is so much to discuss. Uh, you've not had an opportunity on Axom yet, Natasha, to have a chat about the game at the weekend. So let's quickly run through that before we look ahead, not only to the Europa League playoff, tie tomorrow night but also to the Women's Champions League game but um, yes Hearts revenge good performance couple of wee Mm. bits bits to to talk about in the second half what was your thoughts overall? Do you know I just really enjoyed it I enjoyed the football we played I enjoyed the performance and if ever a scoreline didn't actually represent a game of football that was it you know the stats were incredible particularly in the first half You're talking about us having something like 82% of possession in the first half, 20 shots of goal. It was just so good to watch. And you're sitting there thinking, like, how are we not 4-0 up going in at half time? And all of a sudden at 90 minutes, you're looking back questioning, how on earth was that 3-2? But it's it's what Ange brings and it's what the Celtic fans want to see is this exciting, fast-paced football that gets you out of your seat. It's entertaining, Mm -hmm. it's enjoyable. But it also flagged up that there are still issues. And don't get me wrong, we're far from the finished article. It's great to watch. But what I think the 3-2 scoreline identified was that there are still issues needing addressed. They're the same issues we know about. And it's time for the board to listen to Ange and address these issues. Because Mm -hmm. he's saying it every week. He's repeatedly asking for additions to the squad. He's saying the same things. And now it's time to address that. And there is positive signs with um, the news of the the new right back perhaps being imminent that they are beginning to be addressed. We can talk about the time it's taken to do so. Mm. But um, overall, the performance against Hearts, really promising, continues to identify that we're a bit susceptible at the back, but definitely going in the right direction. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk about yesterday, but Russell and Tony went off and won a couple of times and we ran out of time, um, as you do, Russell, but that's what this is all about. Um, But the first thing I was going to say was, in my Celtic supporting life, 
which, as I keep reminding everybody, has spanned five decades of going to Celtic Park. Believe it or not, I have watched Celtic in five well, different decades. It. Russell, I know you're looking there under your fringe thinking, how on earth have you done that, mate? But see, when you get to my age, it is doable. <laughs> so, yes, the first game in 87 and the fact that we've just entered the 2020s is the reason why. But when we look back on all the different teams, and I ask myself, what's the high points? Well, the centenary season, massive, because of uh, the significance of that season in the club's history. Russell Boyce, by the way, Natasha, was born on the same day that Celtic were founded. Uh, but, you know, a few years later, aye, 100 years later. 100, exactly. Yep, on the 100th birthday of the club. So I look back fondly on that team. I look back fondly on... Martin O'Neill's team for obvious reasons the the success, the treble, the Seville run but you know like a lot of Celtic fans I look back on the Tommy Burns team and I look back on that side because they were so entertaining, I mean we've seen managers coming in previously talking the talk and saying this is how I want to play, this is my philosophy now Tommy Burns played what is the Celtic way, you know, whatever the Celtic way is, you know, the entertaining football, the fast-paced football, the players that he had at his disposal. But his Achilles heel, that team's Achilles heel, was a defence. And I've said this so many times, right? Eventually, he started trying to build that defence by bringing in players like Alan Stubbs, who was a proper defender. I mean, even when you look at the right and the left back and Jackie Mack and Tosh McKinley, they were your you know, your typical up and down um attacking fullbacks, you know, overlapping fullbacks old fashioned way. But if we had a decent defence from day one, if we had a decent goalkeeper from day one, that Tommy Burns side would have been a completely different team in terms of the honours won. Because let's not forget, we only won one Scottish Cup. We look back on the Andy Toms of this world and Van Hooydonk and Cadet and the Canyon, these entertaining players. But we couldn't shut the door at the back. And I'm looking at this Ange team at the moment, in its early days, and that's one of my big concerns, is that, yes, when we go forward, we are astonishing to watch. I mean... Mm-hmm. Previous to the game at the weekend, Ryan Christie was flying. Tommy Rogic's playing again like we knew he could back in the day. Mm-hmm. We've got the new signings coming in. Kyogo, absolute revelation. Abada was looking the same before he dropped out, probably with a wee injury. And he's got us playing like that. But the doubt, the seeded doubt, and the reason why it ended up 3-2, Natasha, was because we couldn't get the, the back door lock. Russell, how much of a concern is it and can we put it right in the next couple of weeks? Well, in terms of comparing it with the Tommy Burns thing, I think the difference is as well in those eras is Tommy Burns was on probably a shoestring budget in comparison with when you only look at the player sales Celtic have made over the last 12 months, mm. there should be enough tools there for Ange if he identifies a player for us not to have an excuse not to go and get them. That's the way I see it. That's where my frustration would lie. Whereas I think Tommy Burns probably had to pick or choose whether he went for the attacking options or the defensive options if his budget was either going to go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I can't help but feel with Ange, we have got more than enough resources just on player sales alone, let alone another year of sold-out season tickets, by the way. Um, You know, I think there should be no excuse. If we want to go get the Croatian right back for £2.5 million two weeks ago, then he should be in the door two weeks ago. Because right now what we're watching is the effects of when Andrew's back and the other the other half of the field, look at the effects that's had. It's been mm-hmm. outstanding to watch. Absolutely brilliant. Why could he not have a similar impact in defence and shut up shop with, you know, Starfelt was bought in for £4 million. There's one part of the puzzle. There's three other positions across that back four that I still think need reinforcement. I'm not necessarily saying they need to be taken out of Ralston's place, for example, or stealing Stephen Welsh's place. But they should be coming in there and pushing for the jersey. And I definitely think it is time that Ange gets back in that department. The sooner the better. And obviously the clock's now running down on, on the transfer window. I think there's 13, 14 days left anyway. So either way, it's make a break time in that department for me. When we look at that, Natasha, you know, it's difficult because you don't want to take away from the positives and there have been some tremendous positives and what we're getting in the moment is an idea like a glimmer of hope of what we could achieve under this this gaffer who many people had written off when he came in and as Russell says there we are still playing with a makeshift defence 
So mm-hmm. we've gone into the first game and having predicted that we would go into the first game with a, a back four, a Welsh and Beaton and uh, Ralston and Taylor, it actually came to fruition. Uh, so we've gone into the, the qualifiers with that defence. Now, from that, you've got to say, in my opinion, that Welsh and Ralston, I don't think many people would argue that they've they've done extremely well. I think Taylor still gets a hard time and there's parts of his game that can improve, particularly under the system that Ange wants to play. But I think that he's done OK. And then obviously there's a question mark around uh, the centre-half position as well, mm-hmm. because even though we brought Starfield in, we still need to strengthen that area. Mm-hmm. My biggest concern, my worry, uh, Natasha, is the fact that it does seem to be dragging on. I mean, we heard about the interest in, for example, uh, Josip Juranovic some time ago. It's only now that it would appear that we're making some real progress in bringing him in. He's your right back. Now, if I've got to be bold here, I would say across the defence at this moment in time, although I do think we need to strengthen in the right-back position, it's the least of my worries, I would suggest. <laughs> Actually, the right-back position. We've also seen um, you know, interest in various other players um, kind of dying down a bit. So, Jan Kuto, 19 years of age, Manchester City, looks like it's not happening, and that Braga might come in and take him. Um, and that's probably why we're putting all our eggs in the basket for Juranovic now. Liam Scales is an interesting one. So he plays centre-half. He plays for Shamrock Rovers, 23 years of age. He's a Republic of Ireland under-21 internationalist. For me, this has got Dermot Desmond's dibs all over it. He's a 25%. um, He has a 25% share, rather, in Shamrock Rovers. He obviously knows the player. The manager has revealed that it looks as though that deal will be done. Even if it is done, Natasha, we need another centre-half. I mean, that screams project signing to me. It does, and I'm not sure he improves what we have there in terms of Welsh and Starfelt, so he's not someone who's going to come in and instantly improve that back line. Taking them in turn like you have, Ralston has done fine. You know, I've said it multiple times on this show, I absolutely admire his attitude more than anything. He gets criticism consistently. A lot of it is undue. He's the sort of player that will come in and do his job and give 110% every game and absolutely credit to him for that and he has looked good and he just keeps getting better and better the concern is though we are about to go into another round of Champions League or of European qualifying if only it was Champions League that's the women's team if we're about to go into another European qualifying round with Ralston as our only recognised right back that's so hampering to the football that Andrew's trying to play to have that lack of depth in the squad I don't think we need the the Man City guy on loan as well as Juranovic. So perhaps if that one's fallen through, then Juranovic is the right target. And Mm -hmm. if it was to be a choice, then I'm 100% would rather bring Juranovic in as our player than than the Man City player on a loan to develop. That's what I would rather do. We don't need both. But why has it taken to this point of the transfer window. We knew from the outset that that was a position that was a priority and they've still not addressed it before another European qualifier. So that's a concern, but I am absolutely sure that Postacoglu shares these concerns. Everything he is saying post-match in interviews in the press is that I need reinforcements. There's players playing every game, every minute because I have no other option. He's been very open about that in front of the camera, so you can only imagine what he is saying behind the scenes. And I'm sure he's frustrated that he's not been able to get anyone in that position yet too. I think that is one that we are likely to see over the coming days. Again, it's too late. That's a not a new criticism for the club. But it isn't the only spot that we need to to address in that defence, like, like you've both touched upon. Scales coming in is not really what I would be looking for to address the centre-half options. Of course, we'll give him a chance. You know, we're not writing him off before he signs by any means. But is he the calibre of player that is going to come in and improve our defence? Is he going to take Welsh's position? Is he going to take Starfelt's? Julian's when he's back to full fitness. I don't see that happening. And so I think we still need another centre-half. And Taylor is our sort of, you know, one left back. We don't know what's happening with Ball and Goalie. It seems he's very mm. far out of the picture. Taylor as our le- only left back, again, is not enough depth and questionable as whether it's the quality we need. Both Ralston and Taylor, I think, will do 
a fine job, an okay job as they have done so far in the league domestically most of the time. But if we really are trying to progress and try and get further in our European competitions, improve the the build-up play, improve the team as a whole... I don't know if Ralston and Taylor, I don't think that Ralston and Taylor are the quality that, that we should be striving for. Both great backups. I think we can do better whether we will see improvements coming in both positions. I don't know the right back slot, I expect, but I wonder what we're going to do about that left back spot. You know, when you're looking at it, I, I have been focusing on the fact that the, the transfer window is going to slam shut at 11 o'clock on the 31st mm. of August. It's been open since the 9th of June. And since then, we've been bounced out of the Champions League because we were underprepared. We've gone in with, with a makeshift um, defence, which was depleted even more because of the stupidity of one of our more experienced players. We're now in a playoff for the Europa League, and we're still underprepared. So it's not as though we've only had a couple of weeks here. I mean, the transfer window opened on the 9th of June. And two months later, plus, we're still sitting here thinking, we've got one right back. We've only got, you know, we've got we've got three left backs, but one of them is Montgomery, who, by the way, has looked really good when he's come in. One of them, we would rather not play in ball and golly, because I'm pretty sure he will be offloaded. And the other one, there is a question mark around, particularly when you're playing a higher calibre of opposition. And tomorrow night, that's exactly what we'll be doing, Russell. It's a wee bit frustrating, as much as it was great to bring in Joe Hart and James McCarthy. It's a wee bit frustrating that, did we, you know, you asked the question, did we really need cover in McCarthy's position? Did we need cover in that area of the park when we're so desperately in need of cover at right back, centre half, left back? I mean, how frustrating is that for, for yourself, looking at that, the fact that we've had two and a half months to put this right and we still haven't put it right yet? A couple of different angles you can look at this now, Paul, because if Ange is really much in the, in the driver's seat, then are these positions he's had a blind spot to that he's not addressed initially because he's not recognised the need for improvement in these quarters? Or is it he's not getting his message across to the board and the board are dithering again? You then talk about the, the arrival of the, the, the lad from Shamrock Rovers, you know, Derek, Dermot Desmond production, could you argue the same with James McCarthy? Three days, four days before we were told Dermot Desmond was taking a hands-on approach to transfers, mm. Joe Hart and James McCarthy were in the door. It's an interesting angle. I'm not saying that's how it is, but you've got to look at it from all aspects. Either way, something's not right in that. In regards to that. I appreciate it as well. The other narrative we were told at the start is this, will, this job will take Ange several transfer windows to get right. We can't all expect it all at once then, perhaps. And would you not rather wait till January and get the right addition into the squad? Or whether it be next summer, then rush it now because there's two weeks left. We all know the position we've left ourselves in with regards to the Champions League. At the end of the day, the team is doing well and it may well be the approach that if it's not the right candidate for the job, you either get a lone guy in the meantime or you don't, or you go with what you've got. Mm. Unfortunately, that may be the situation we're in. Do you really want us to go out and rush now and, and spend three to four million on another, another ball and golly, for example, at left back? What's the point? Maybe Ange is now going to need to get the the time to consider what what areas of the of the team over the next few months need addressed imminently, what need addressed more importantly, and what where he wants to spend whatever's left of of his budget. You know, the major the majority of that budget on. I certainly think whether he brings in a Shamrock Rovers centre-half, I can't remember his name, sorry about that, I'm not trying to be rude. Liam Scales. Liam Scales, that's the one. So if they bring him in, I would still say that doesn't fit the profile of centre-back that I think we need. I am very much of the opinion we need an experienced centre-half in there. I think Starfield needs time to settle. It's not a witch hunt, he needs time to settle, that's all. I think with regards to Welsh, it's unfair that Welsh is now becoming the guide as, as opposed to the guy did. I think that's what he should be right now. For me, I've been bringing in someone in their 30s. Well, not necessarily need to be in their 30s. Not that there's anything wrong with being in your 30s. But, um, or even in your 40s. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would recommend that we bring in someone with a, a, lot, of, a lot of experience that mm. perhaps could be, become something of a mentor. for Even, even though Starfelt's 25, 26, it looks to me like he needs a bedding in period. And I would hate to see Chris Julian rushed in to accommodate that and then end up out for an even longer period because the injury re- reoccurs or anything mm. like that. I mean, I've seen that in the past. 
Interesting times because we have been here before with regards to transfers and uh, Stephen Sloan comes in to say again, we offer less than a, a club are asking for and get rejected Groundhog Day every day. Capital Mark, it's essential that the manager is back properly and in good time. Will the board have the foresight to do this? Well, they need to. I mean, these are the competitions where there is a huge stream of income. Um, over and above what you would expect to be bringing in through season ticket sales and domestic sponsorship and broadcasting. And it, it once again seems as though we are grossly underprepared for it. Tomorrow night is going to be a massive challenge. And I think that, you know, as well as Ralston has done, and I've been a big supporter of Ralston over the, over the period, as well as he's done, this is a, this is a step up. And it's at this stage that you really uh, will uh, separate the men from the boys or the domestic from the European players, I guess, would be a better way to describe that. Another one who we were said to be interested in, and he would have actually solved a couple of problems, was Ben Davis, who can play left-back or centre-half. He was at Liverpool. He's gone on loan to Sheffield United. So it does seem as though we are labouring some of these deals to such a degree that we're missing out on some targets, Henri being another potential uh, signing up front for us. But let's have a wee chat. And you know what, Natasha, I'm going to start with the Champions League because that's where Celtic would have liked to have been playing their football. Uh, and we are, but it's the women's team. Now, you've taken um, a great involvement in our coverage of uh, the women's game. You have uh, attended numerous press conferences. You have interviewed Fran Alonso directly and you do have a good knowledge of the game. Um we are playing in the Champions League and it's live tomorrow at five o'clock on Alba and also Premier Sports, isn't it? How do you see that going and how great is it that we can tune in and watch Celtic in the Champions League? I think firstly, it's just an incredible achievement for the girls to get into the Champions League. You know, this is a team who have only been professional for, for just over a year and already they're getting Champions League football, which is an incredible achievement, a great reward for a really successful season last season. If you look at last season, that was described as a two-horse race between Glasgow City and Rangers. Celtic came second in that two-horse race and managed to get yeah. that Champions League slot. So it's absolutely brilliant for the girls to be in this competition. Um, realistically, it's going to be a very, very tough game. Um, Levante finished seven points ahead of Atletico Madrid last season, just four points behind the leaders Real Madrid. So it's going to be a level of challenge that the, the team have never faced before. And Fran Alonso has been very open about the fact that the team are underdogs. We saw that they mm. thrived on that tag last season. Um, and there's a real great mentality about the team. Fran himself is in no doubt that this is going to be a very tough test. Levante were probably one of the hardest teams that we could have drawn in the competition. But regardless of, of what happens tomorrow night, the experience of this level of competition and level of opposition for the girls is really going to help the team grow, help prepare for the season ahead. And it's fantastic for the club that we are represented in this competition. And um, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how the girls do. Me as well. I mean, we'll cover the game on a Celtic state of mind uh, whenever a game is available uh, to to watch on, on the telly or online. We do cover it. And uh, I'm looking forward to it also. Uh, Fran Alonso is someone that you've spent a bit of time with, you've interviewed. How impressed have you been with the way uh, he conducts himself? And also he's got his own philosophy, hasn't he? He does. Um, he's an absolutely fantastic coach. It really shines through just watching him at the side of a park. But on top of that, you know, he's a, he's a great person as well. He's really great to speak to. He's really engaging. He comes across so, so well. And one thing that has shone through from the minute he joined this club is that he gets it. He has really bought into this club. He understands what Celtic is about. He knows how important it is to the fans he is fully bought into it if you Skype Fran Alonso sitting in his own living room he has Celtic strips on the walls of his house he is bought into this and he loves being at this club and he's got an absolutely brilliant relationship with with the players and his team and, and with the club in general so Fran is absolutely brilliant and what he's doing for the women's team and women's football in Scotland is remarkable so really really great to, to have him here Um and it's it's a great squad he's assembling as well. There's mm. you know no a lot of changes, no isn't it? There has been a lot of changes this season. It has been a bit of a, a turnover period. We have lost some key players. Our top goal scorer, our player of the year from from last season, have left the club. 
But what's been really interesting is that the club have, you know, really went out and, and made some really interesting appointments. We've brought the first Chinese female player to play in Scotland over in Shen Mengu, which is exciting. We've brought um, Shorts over from New Zealand who played at the Olympics. You know, so um, Charlie Wellings has already scored a hat-trick in pre-season, much like Kyogo. So we have really enhanced the squad as well. So it'll be interesting to see a slightly new look Celtic team going into this season with some of the, the stalwarts from last season still there. But they are really developing a great team there and I look forward to seeing how they do this season. Has it been playing in uh, Tron time? Is that right? In That's Norway. right, playing, playing in Norway. There's a bit of a complicated structure for the, the Women's Champions League at the moment with a sort of mini group and teams playing within a group um, to determine who, who goes through to the next round but it has been playing in Trondheim that's right and I've seen on Twitter actually there's um, a Celtic Sporters Club out in Trondheim who have got a group going to the game tonight so I think right. that's tomorrow right so that's absolutely brilliant I saw them getting their banners ready on Twitter so great for them and I hope they I hope they enjoy the game and give the girls a good backing it is it's great to hear I mean Trondheim is actually um, twinned with Dunfermline Russell Boyce it's a twin town Yes, of Dunfermline. And uh, it was the birthplace of one Harold Bratback. So there you go. Yes, I knew that. I was going to say, I was going to get a Jamal link there. Well, yeah. just stole my thunder, mate. There you go. Now, when I think of Levante, I think of uh, Johan Mialbe, because that's where he went after he left Celtic. And Mm -hmm. yeah, looking a bit Swedish there yourself, Russell, with that um, Adidas tracksuit top on. Yep, let's have a wee chat about the men's team and what we're doing in Europe. And this is, for me, the biggest challenge we've had this season. We're in better shape, I think, than we were when we played Michelin, but we're up against better opposition as well. Now, that that, uh, point I made about the Tommy Burns team, what I was also going to say is that I was interested to look through the arrivals of the various managers that I have witnessed come into Celtic Park. And some of them have come in with this... Um, intention to play a certain way, um, to bang on about their philosophy in terms of how they play the beautiful game. And two of the managers that spring to mind were Tony Mowbray and John Barnes. Tony Mowbray spoke about a football utopia, if you'll remember. John Barnes spoke about the, the style of football that he would be playing being an entertaining style of football. And it worries me a wee bit when you come in with that because I would then compare that to Brennan Rogers and Martin O'Neill's comments when they first came to the club and it was all about success and winning and instilling a winning mentality in the club. Ange Postacoglu came in and he spoke about a style and that, that worried me a wee bit. And we're seeing the style though, uh, Russell, we're seeing the style um, of what might be Ange Ball, as, as we've heard it being called. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow night is the biggest challenge that we'll have faced this season. Um, we're going to have to lock the back door. What do you think will happen in terms of the lineup? Will there be changes made for tomorrow night's game? I don't think so. I think tomorrow he will go for the jugular first half the same way he has in the last few matches we've seen. I think it will be all-out attack try and kill off this tie. And I don't even think he, he, he'll intend to keep that up for 90 minutes because I think I think we've seen already physically it's almost impossible to play at that pace for 90 minutes, even for the fitter elements of the squad. As Tony Tony funnily pointed out like, uh, yesterday, Tom Roberts made it to 73 minutes playing, <laughs> playing the highest pace football of all time. So that was a miracle in itself. I think that he will go for the jugular tomorrow. It's interesting when you talk about the style stroke success argument. One, one set of managers talked about success, brought it. Others talked about style, sat. Now, I think Ange is very much about both. As I said yesterday, I think he's very understated in how he speaks. He's not someone making big bravado statements. He's quite, he, he's got a mad demeanour about him. And then he, he lets the football do the talking. I don't mind that at all. I like that, I admire it. I think the thing is, though, fans are fickle, fickle people, right? And myself included. I wait for Keen, right? So <laughs> the thing, <laughs> so the thing is, if we talk about going, oh, you know, you'll get given this season right off this season, they're kidding themselves on anyone who said that. Already, we put ourselves in a position by playing the brand of football we've seen so far that if he was to go in a three or four match losing run, 
They'd be calling for his head. That's just how it works. So I, I, I don't think that Andrew's going to come here and basing everything on style. I think there's a huge adaption that he's making as well. He'll have realised from the moment he walked in that it has to be this season. You don't get a season's grace. The fans, any fans that kid themselves on that happens as well, have short memories. They will not put up with it. Even if right now they're sitting going, oh no, if we can see signs of progress, man. Nonsense. You won't put up with it. You won't put up the second best year. So I think Andrew, Andrew's realised that and I think he's made signings in Abada for the long term and the likes of Joe Hart and McCarthy that are more, far more like here and now signings and for, for this season in particular, you know, they've been brought in to have an instant impact whereas Abada would probably be someone that you could say this week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If they don't hit it off straight away, he's on a six-year deal. Although, of course, contrary to that, I've had this hit the ground running. But do you know what I mean? I think he's definitely, he's, he's got a balancing act that he's, he's achieved, Ange. And I think when he goes into the game uh, against AZ Altmar, this is the right time for the team to have this challenge, Paul. This is the right time for that challenge. Mitchelland was a step too early. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This now, we have built up enough momentum now to take on, I think, very decent opposition. Let's now test ourselves in that in those sort of waters, especially with the uh, the huge crunch game at Ibrox coming up at the end of the month as well. This is perfect warm-up for that as well, to sort of find a level, see if Angeball works against AZ, Altma, see if it does, see if we can blow them away. And that gives you greater confidence in what you're doing as well. I'm really looking forward to it, but I think it's the right, the right game at the right time. A couple of things you mentioned there, talking about the tempo. Um, we will have to find a way, Natasha, to keep that up for 90 minutes. I mean, if that's the way you play and two or three guys can't play for 90 minutes uh, in that tempo and you're quite happy that that's the case and you take them off the last 20, 25 minutes, then fine. But if we want to blow teams away, we can't just do it for half a game. We can't just do it for an hour because then we're the club that tires. We're the team that tires. And again, when you're on the back foot, that's far more tiring anyway. But, you know, we've seen it already, the drop-off in performance uh, where that speed and that tempo has been lost in the latter part of the game. Uh, but it's almost as if people are saying it's one of the things you can't expect that to, to go for 90 minutes. Well, we're going to have to. If, that's, if that is what we're ad adapting to, if that's what we've adopted under Ange, You've got to play 90 minutes at that at that pace, at that tempo. And, you know, some of the players that we have might not be able to, and Tom Roderick being one of them, potentially, although he's shown some great form. But if they're all maximised, and that that is where we're expecting to be playing that level of, 
speed and tempo, then surely we can expect for that to be a 90-minute thing. I mean, Celtic have always primed themselves on scoring the last-minute goals, you know, two minutes into injury time. It doesn't matter. Last kick of the ball, if Celtic scoring, it's an equaliser or a winner. That You would almost expect that. You know, it was never over until that moment. We can't now mm-hmm. say we've got to put every game to bed in the first 60 minutes because after that, we're knackered. You know, I think I think that's right, is that Celtic used to always be known for having superior fitness to the teams that we played. So when it got into the last 15, the last 20, it showed the team had been chasing us for the, the previous 70 minutes of the game. They couldn't keep up with that. And then our sort of dominance and our superior fitness levels took over. I think what we're seeing now maybe isn't so much that we can't keep the tempo up for the 90 minutes. It's that this, the depth in the squad that we have can't come in and play to the level of the players that have been on before them. So I think we saw that slightly against Hearts. I think the substitutions that came on detrimented the team. I think that they weren't able to, to instantly get up to the speed of the game. I don't think they had the same quality as the players that they were replacing. So I think there was a bit of a, a quality and depth issue. But equally, you know, if you're saying that about players like Ayeti, what use is it to him to give him three minutes at the end of the game and then expect him to be up to speed and take that chance that he he probably should have scored? But how is he ever going to be match sharp and match fit if that is all he is getting, those three minutes at the end of, of the games? So it's a difficult one. I don't think that Ange will compromise his style. I think that we'll see against um, Aza Alkmaar and I think we'll see against Rangers whether this is indeed the case. But for me, I don't expect him to change style on the basis of the opposition that we're playing. I think that was something that Brendan Rodgers was actually guilty of. Mm-hmm. Um, one one thing that you know he could be criticised for, he was a great manager for us during the time he was here. But one thing he could be criticised for is when he tried to change formation tactics to play against the opposition, it didn't quite work. Remains to be seen, but for me, I don't think Ange is that sort of manager. I think he will try and play the same football and the same style, regardless of the opposition. Um, whether that will be successful or not against some of the better teams we play remains to be seen, but I don't think he will compromise on the way that he thinks football should be played. I think that is what he will want to see, regardless of who we are playing. So I think that is what we will try and see against Alkmaar. I don't expect many changes to the squad to what we've seen, with maybe the exception of Christie is fit, will he come in for Edward? Because I think that that works slightly better and have Kyogo in more of a position that suits him naturally. That would probably be one of the only the only change that I would expect to see ahead of ahead of the Alkmaar game, and I think that he will continue to play football the way he thinks it should be played, um, and will improve our fitness levels throughout the season to try and match that. Can we get a win tomorrow night, Natasha? Yeah, I think we can um, if we keep playing the the way we are. Um, if we try and defend a bit more solidly at the back, I think. I think it's, do you remember when we spoke to Jared from Celts Down Under, he said that Angie's teams play in a way that you will lose two goals and score four. I think we've kind of seen a bit of that already and I think that might be the case against Alkmaar as well. But remember, this isn't a team who are flying either. They're having their own issues. They're not having some great results. They've lost a few key players. They're having issues with their captain. So they're by no means a team problem-free either. And we need to to take advantage of the fact that we are a team whose momentum is going in the right direction. And I think we we can win. We can build on that. And we can keep the momentum going until the, the end of the month when we do go to Ibrox. Let's hope so. Natasha, you mentioned the captain. He's a top goal scorer. He's a Dutch internationalist and he will obviously be going toe-to-toe with our own captain, McGregor, as we will speak about him in a moment or two. Looking through the squad, I know you like this one, Russell. They've got a player called Maxim Hewlett. Guess who his dad is? Rude. And his mother is a niece of Johan Cruyff, so he might have some good genes going on there. Although I don't wow. think I don't think he'll be featuring tomorrow night. Twenty years of age, he's not played that many games. Um, but yeah, it's a definite step up when it comes to quality. But I do feel, looking at some of these points coming in, that we should be better prepared uh, and we look at a comment coming in on YouTube from Powerman1988 announced Liam Scales and Josip Juranovic get the money paid even that for me isn't enough I think that there's still 
more players required over and above that. I think scales coming from uh, the Irish Premier League to this level, let's say, he signed two or three weeks ago and he was playing tomorrow night. Is he at that level? I don't think so. I think that's something that could be regarded as a project. You've got to get him up to speed before you can throw him in in a game like this. Um, and further to that, Powerman goes on to say, 40 million is at stake in terms of winning the league. Uh, this is there for the taking easily with a few additions to strengthen the squad. And David Bradley agrees, not getting players in fast enough, not good Celtic, Paddy Hutchison points out, season ticket money aside, last Thursday paid for Hart. With the revenue coming in from tomorrow, stop playing about and offer Legio what they want for the right back. Of course, there's another point, but it gets a bit personal in relation to an individual, so I won't bring it up. But they're asking or they're saying it's been at least two days since we had a go at the board. So you were expecting a negative vibe today. Now, you know what? In terms of comments and social media, Everything doesn't have to be a negative and a positive. You're allowed to speak about a situation. You're allowed to ask a question for debate in relation to Postacoglu. Um, will he get the backing from the board? And if he doesn't, then yeah, absolutely, you'll criticise the board because it's clear for everybody to see that we're not good enough in certain areas of the park. And if you're an apologist for the board and you don't want anybody to question them, I think that's a bigger risk to take as a Celtic fan when you're looking at a situation that, Let's remember, we're rebuilding from last season, which was one of the worst seasons in living memory. You know, no trophies whatsoever after four consecutive trebles. And you're asking us not to scrutinise what the board are or are not doing. I'm afraid it doesn't work like that. Um, now, when we're looking at the captain of our opponents tomorrow, we also need to look at our own captain. We've been talking about players who have looked rejuvenated under... And Postacoglu. Think back to last season. Callum McGregor's worst season in a Celtic jersey, Natasha, and compare it to the start to this season. How impressed have you been? Very. Callum McGregor has been absolutely phenomenal this season and he is thriving and playing some of the best football I've seen him play. Um, A lot of people questioned whether he was the right candidate for captain. He was certainly the best choice that we had in our team. But there's a lot of questions around his personality, his characteristics. Was he the right successor for Scott Brown? I think any doubts that anyone had over that are well and truly put to bed over the last few performances from Callum McGregor. He has made that role his own. He is the engine of the team. He drives everyone around him. He constantly is talking to every player around about them, whether that's encouragement, um, positioning, everything. He's really, really controlling our team from the middle of that pitch. And not only that, his own game has been absolutely brilliant. I think it's, like I said, it's the best football that I've seen McGregor play in a long, long time. And, you know, it just shows what slight tweaks and management and coaching and tactics can do to rejuvenate some of these players. And McGregor isn't the only one, you know. Ryan Christie as well has play- mm. been playing some incredible football for the last few games prior to the knock that he took. So it's really encouraging to see that Andrews come in and made these players better players compared to what we saw last season, which was unfortunately some good players being made to look like average players. You know, the prime example of how this has happened in the opposite last season was when Laxalt came in and he looked like a great player for the first few weeks and all of a sudden his performances went downhill massively as did everyone's round about him and has rejuvenated this club and the play the performances he's getting out of players who looked average last season is incredible and I, I hope it continues and for someone like Ryan Christie who is now playing the best football he's played in in years if this is what Ange can do for him and this is what Ange can get out of him in a football capacity a couple of months into the job surely you would be tempted to stay and continue to work under a manager that is getting this level of performance out of you. Think of the doors that that could open for you at the end of this season if you are to stay for one more. Obviously, that's going to be up to Ryan. Maybe he wants one of these doors to open for him now. But if I was him, I would definitely be tempted to continue to work under a manager that is getting so much out of him at the moment. 
Now, <clears throat> there's a few people saying no teams go hell for leather for 90 minutes. Well, I think when you come up against the top class sides and we are trying to compete in these competitions, you know, against elite level opponents, I think you'll find that you are up against it for 90 minutes. It's relentless when you come up to that level. So if you are of that mindset, and you think it's okay, you can manage to switch off for 10 or 15 minutes. I think that's a dangerous game to play as well. Um, coming in from Periscope on Twitter, took Liverpool 12 months to get up to 90 minutes of pressing and running under Klopp. Yeah, and it is going to take some time. And again, obviously, when you're looking at um, what we have seen so far, Strange Love the Doctor points it out, we are nowhere near the finish line in regards to embedding Angie's style, but by God, we have started. We have seen some incredible signs that we are moving in that direction. Russell, we're talking about Callum McGregor um, last season, one of those players that regressed, looked to have regressed, mm-hmm. as did many others, Ryan Christie being another example. Yet, he's flourishing under Ange Postacoglu. He's flourishing with the captaincy. Did you expect that? Um, I think it was a, a very much a case for Carl McGregor of sink or swim. And I think a lot of us were concerned from last season, that, myself included, that the actual weight of the captain's armband might actually be a burden to him. Such was that, you know, the lack of confidence he was playing with, the lack of form that he had, you thought, is this really an added factor that he's really needing in his game with a new manager? Uh, it turns out, of course, he's absolutely thrived with the captaincy. It looks to me as though the, the shadow, perhaps, that he was in of Scott Brown being being away has actually been a good thing for Callum McGregor in a way. I'm sure he has stolen traits. In fact, I actually think after the huddle the other night, he ran and, like, you know, he did that short sprint. He jumped. Jump the <laughs> and headed the, headed the ball like... Uh, I've noticed no, this. Ball. He did, didn't he? I've noticed that, that. That was very Scott Brown-esque. So mm-hmm. I think he's took a lot of those influences, but now he's went, it's now my time to shine. And I think he's he just he's, he's to me now the perfect ambassador for Celtic in terms of his attitude, application, the double A's, Tony calls it. He's got all of that in abundance. And what a role model for the likes of David Turnbull. Only he's still only what, 21, 22, David Turnbull. He's looking up to that guy, playing with him day in, day out. You only need to look, see no further than Kieran Tierney's how influenced he was by Scott Brown and how he's took a lot of those ethics down to Arsenal whether it be a Tesco carrier bag with football boots in it, whether it be short sleeves every single day at training, you know, they all think this is crazy stuff. But that was the influence Scott Brown had uh, and, and, and completely put on it tyranny. Callum McGregor could have a very similar impact some of our younger guys coming through and maybe the, some of the more experienced ones as well. I think he's got the right characteristics to be a Celtic captain. I'm glad that he's... You know, he's really grown into the role from the get-go. He's grown into the role. He's, he's jumped into the role, basically, and took mm. it with both hands, which mm. has been fantastic. I'm actually kind of surprised that it's went this way based on last season, but I suppose there's so many factors that we're seeing this season that surprise you from, you know, some of the habits we're seeing from players last season in terms of improved performance or in terms of Callum McGregor, the whole package. You know, you're talking about short sleeves up at Lennox Town. No captain would convince me that that was a good idea. I'd have a snood on, maybe even an anorak with a hood, uh, long all right. sleeves all day long, tights, tracky bottoms, the works. It's frozen up there. Now, uh, Dead Mouse comes in, talk about Celtic having superior fitness. It's harking back to the days of Steen. And although Jock Steen's sides were famously fit, I think you could hark back to even Brendan Rodgers' side the invincible, the goal that clinched the invincible treble you know, it was virtually the last kick of the ball, I think what we're talking about here is after Neil Lennon left first time round comments made by Ronnie Dyler was that the players weren't fit, the diet wasn't right, it took a long time to get that conditioning right and I think that the same thing happened again second time round with Lennon and the fitness wasn't there, and you've gone from there to, I mean, what was the stat? 43% of our goals last season were conceded after the 70th minute. Mm-hmm. We were conceding goals late on. That's domestically as well. We were conceding goals late on. So there's an issue with the fitness. And just come in and he's obviously focused on that, but he's not just focusing on the fitness. He's also looking at the fact that we are trying to play this high, high tempo style of football. Um, for an entire game or until you you know, you know beat the opposition into submission. Um, and that's all fair and well if, if it works well and you're beating sides 5-6-0. But like at the weekend there, 
if they get a penalty and then there's a dodgy decision at the back or whatever it may be and you're hanging on and you've uh, already used all your energy levels then it becomes an issue so Mm -hmm. it's something that needs to be managed and whether or not you can ever get a team playing to that level of uh, tempo for 90 minutes is an argument that could rage on but we need to get the management of the fitness levels right. They weren't right last season. And I think the amount of goals, fitness and concentration, because the amount of goals we were losing late on in the game was, was ridiculous. It was criminal when you look at the stats. Um, captain McGregor, yes, I did have concerns. I wanted Ayer to be the captain. Uh, and for other reasons, that didn't happen. Um, I think I like the, the style of... Stephen Welsh is a leader. You were speaking about Luxalt last season, Natasha, and we've spoken about the fact that you know Welsh was talking him through games. This is a guy who's played at a World Cup for Uruguay, and he's you know he was at the time he was an AC Milan player. Yet young Stephen Welsh with about twenty games under his belt was talking him through games. I still see that leadership quality in Welsh, um, and I'm looking at Stephen Welsh and David Tumble and asking myself, you know, it's not going to be long before. Scotland squads are announced. Do you think these two guys are playing themselves into Steve Clark's um, plans? They absolutely have to be. Um, it's as simple as that. They're both putting great performances in so far for, for Celtic. Maybe Turnbull isn't quite at the level that he was last season, uh, but he still has to be in around those Scotland considerations. Just touching on Welsh and his leadership, I think that's still really apparent this season. Even with you know experienced players around about him, he's really taking on a sort of leadership role at the back. If you remember back to when Beaton unfortunately got himself sent off again, we went down to, to 10 players for that short period of time. It was Welsh organising what everyone had to be to sort of cover for that period of time, pulling Sorrow back, telling him where to go, who to track. Welsh took charge of that situation. So you'd experienced centre half, I don't know if he's either of these things, um, and Beaton was, was sent off and Welsh owned that issue, owned the circumstances, took charge of it, controlled it. And I think that's remarkable for someone of his age and he's only going to continue to grow with the amount of game time he's getting and the amount of European experience he's getting. So for someone of his age, he is really, really doing very well for himself and has to be in the considerations for that Scotland squad, regardless of how old he is. When you look at the Scotland squad in general, centre-halves are not positions that we have exactly had an abundance of talent for in recent years. So I don't see why well shouldn't be in and around those discussions. Turnbull, yes, again, I think he can do he can do a job for the Scotland squad. We've already discussed. I don't think he is playing at the same level he was last season. Um, he, I mean, we're talking about by margins. Turnbull is still playing very, very well. But what we do know is that we've got more to come from him. He can reach the levels that he was playing at for the last six months of the previous season. So we've got more to come from him. And I think he's the sort of player who'll benefit from some squad rotation that we're likely to see. Though an area we do have depth in is that sort of area in the middle of the park. And I think Angel utilise that, especially with the sort of overload of games that we've got coming up. I think he'll utilise that rotation. And I think that'll benefit a player like Turnbull. See, when you look at it there, Russell, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, Turnbull was getting massive kind of criticism around some of his performances. People were doubting whether or not he could play. And Angie's team, I think he's proved those detractors wrong. He started performing again, hopefully building himself up to the same levels of of last season. But when you're looking at the likes of Turnbull and Welsh as a new generation coming through, do you think that they are international class? I certainly think that Turnbull is. Uh, and as Natasha says, we have had a dirty centre-halves for the Scotland national team for years. Um, maybe Welsh is unfashionable. You know, We've said in the past, if he was playing for Hibs, we'd be interested in buying him. Yet, He's playing for Celtic and we just see him as a stopgap until another centre-half comes in. Where do you sit on the Stephen Welsh debate? I think Stephen Welsh, as I say, is someone that's almost at times has had too much onus put on him at this stage of his career, which I absolutely agree with Natasha. Yes, he's thrived on it. And yes, he does take ownership when there's and responsibility when required. But is it really fair? That's That's my argument with it. And I just think right now he's in a position where he is the guy we're looking at the defence. He is your first pick of that back four by a country mile right now. I don't, that's no offence to Ralston, who's a close second these days, right? But with some great performances. But if you had to pick one out of the four, everyone would, you know, put their money on Welsh 100%, right, out of the four. 
I just feel that in a, this stage of his development, he would benefit so much from, firstly, Julian just being fit. If he was fit, that would be great. Problem solved mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. He then competes with Carl Starfelt for the jersey. And I think that would be quite refreshing for Welsh as well, to be in real competition, as opposed to last season, the Neil Lennon hokey-cokey approach, where it's, you know, put your left foot in, your left foot out, in, out, in, out, nonsense. You know, it was that's just not a way to, to bring a player's progress at all when they've made their, it was their second ever start against Rangers uh, and then you're asked from the team for three months or two yeah. months whatever it was it's just that's just nonsense you can't it can't go like that I think he now should just be considered as a first team defender and then it's up to him to win the jersey you know what I mean what else do we bring in I still think a reinforcement in that area when it comes to international football Lawrence will like this one since I'm in his shoes if Nathan Patterson could be called up to the Euros let's say anything might be even well can't <laughs> Listen, Russell, see that point you made there about the jersey, right? So Ralston is undoubtedly our first choice right back. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you look at the other options that we have at the club, one of them is actually Stephen Welsh can play it right back. But, you know, as a backup, uh, Leo Connor, he's playing for the coach team. So Uruguide doesn't look as though he's ready for the uh, for the first team. So he's your, he's your first choice right back. Your, your first choice centre-half, Alongside Starfelt is Stephen Welsh. Absolutely no doubt about it. But what happens when we bring in, which inevitably we will, a new right back in the next two weeks, a new centre half in the next two weeks? Do we do what we did against Hearts and we throw them right in the team? We did that with Starfelt. And you're just expecting them to develop an understanding at the heart of the defence. And we did it with Joe Hart as well. He signs, we throw him right in the team. Is that what you would expect? Because although we're crying out for these players, should they be bedded in? I mean, Ralston and Welsh have played the vast majority. What Ralston's played all the games. Welsh has played the majority of games. Just you're trying to get an understanding between the two centre halves and the goalkeeper behind you, but also the two inverted fullbacks. I mean, they're they're developing an understanding of where to go and and when to get back, etc. And then you're going to bring in these new defenders. How do you deal with them, Russell? Because well, at this moment in time, both of those players mentioned would be feeling aggrieved if they were dropped. No, it's all about competition, though. This is the thing. And if the two young guys feel aggrieved, then I would say they're at their own club. Because Celtic, you're always going to be pushed. I always hop back to the Roy Keane signing. Not for manager. Everyone calm down. No, no revving that bus up. But Roy Keane, when he signed as a midfielder, the reason he joined, do you know what it was? Because Gordon Strachan said to my dinner, you'll struggle to get my team, by the way, because Petrov and Lennon were first two picks. And he was like, you what? And that, that actually frustrated him enough to turn down Real Madrid and signed for Celtic because he thought there is no way I'm showing you mate I'll be in your team I can guarantee you Strachan did a very clever Jedi mind trick obviously by doing that because of course Keane was going to get in the team one way or the other but it was just it was that was how to push someone's buttons and that's because Roy Keane at that time was a serial winner and competition is something he thrived on it made him a better player so for me Welsh has to be looking at the situation of going, bring an experienced boy, but it'll be me who plays with them and your four million pound boy will be the one on the bench. That's got to be the attitude. You know, and I think from the right back right now, Ralston's put yourself in a position going, have you seen my goals? Have you seen my contributions? Good luck, mate. That's, you know, that's got to be the attitude. But none of them should feel aggrieved because competition is something that is always going to be fierce at Celtic, a club as big as Celtic. If you want to be a first team regular here, you have to expect competition for the jersey every single season. See, the Gordon Strachan point, I actually think that he was being totally bluntly old. Um, I think he was being totally blunt with Roy Keane. I, you know, I think I don't think it was a Jedi mind trick. I think he was just saying, you know, you might not get a game because that's the type of guy he is. Uh, what is the situation with Strachan anyway? Is he going to get to do his um, freelance work with us or what's happening? I mean, that's going to the SFA. Has there been an update on that, Natasha? Not that I've seen. I believe that they are investigating it, but I don't really see the, them stepping in to, to stop this. You know, at the end of the day, if Celtic are okay with it and Dundee are okay with it and Strachan are okay with it, I can't see them having too much issue, although I know that that's not perhaps how they'll implement their rules. It remains to be seen. It just seems like a fair bit of hassle for a three-month appointment, does it not? Um, how essential is his role that he's going to be doing, whatever form it'll take, that we need to to go through through this but yeah we will we'll see the outcome of that I don't think we've had an update I'm not sure when he starts I'm not sure particularly what he'll be doing other than consulting on the, the youth team mm. the women's team I believe um, yeah. 
if Mackay thinks that that's something that's needed, then fair enough. Um, I can't particularly see what it's going to add. Maybe it will. Um, if we're indeed allowed to do it, that is. Yeah, well, we'll see how that progresses. I mean, um, EPH comes in on one of the points we've already discussed. It's this tempo that got us to the 2003 Europa League final. You know, the UEFA Cup back then, that team, they played to a high tempo from start to finish. You, you look at some of the nights in Europe where, you know, at no point did you ever see the likes of Chris Sutton or Alan Thompson or Henrik Larsson dipping off for the last 10, 15 minutes. At no point. It was played at the same tempo throughout. And that, that was a Mark of Martin O'Neill's teams, early teams at Celtic. Now, Dead Mouse comes in. We've been talking a wee bit about the Colts, and he says that Ayeti should be sent given the run of games with Griff. Unfortunately, it's not. Yeah. we're not able to do that because, you know, in terms of overage players, uh, you can only do that with goalkeepers, can't you, in a scenario where a goal is required. So it's not like the old reserve days where you could throw a couple of the more experienced guys in to give them <laughs> game time, build their confidence, and in turn, that would help some of the young guys they're playing with. Um, so unfortunately as good as an idea as that would be um, I, I don't know how Ayeti would uh, take playing in the fifth tier of Scottish football to be fair but um, we can't actually do that and we've also got someone coming in on Twitch one of our new platforms telling us that you're watching from Brazil oh, yeah. fantastic victory 124 thanks for tuning in uh, on the point of the Colts what's your take on that you know when we're beating teams 10 nothing. we spoke about it last season Natasha with the women's team there's a few part-time teams, uh, for, for for example, um, and they're getting hammered 10 nothing. I mean, they're getting hammered regularly, aren't they? Is it just a case that there's a few bad teams in that league? Or do you think that, going back to a point Jim Orr made when this announcement was made with the Colts, maybe the level's not as high as it should be in order to get the development right for those young players? I think the league can probably be assessed quite similarly to the Women's League and that there's a massive discrepancy in the level of the teams that are in that league. Uh, I think that some of the teams will give the Colts a run for their money. We've actually already seen that at one of the earlier games. Some of them will provide good competition, a good level of for playing against and some of them we will see 10-0 scorelines and it's something we're seeing the the women's team have as well you know they go up against teams like Rangers and Glasgow City and Hibs and they're tight games and then they they play teams like Forford and win 10-0 we're going to see the same sort of thing from the Colts because of the the differential levels of the way the teams in that league are so yes some games are going to be nothing more than than slight training exercises for the attackers. But maybe that presents a chance for squad rotation. Some of the players who are in the fringes of the Colts squad even, who will then get a chance to play against some of the teams who don't have the quality that that some of the teams in the league do. And then there will be the tougher tests where we do play our strongest Colts team. So it's it's a bit of a difficult one. There are going to be games that are easier than others. And I think what we see in those leagues that we don't see in the league that the first team playing is that the level that the players are playing at is just massively different and it probably just presents different opportunities rather than issues it presents the opportunity to try something different against the sort of lower level teams um and i still think it's a a good thing for celtic to have the team in that league yeah, I mean, I think the alternative is no football at all. Or if you are playing, yeah. it's a bounce game up at Lennox Town against guys the same age, Russell. So even though, you know, you're going to get occasions where, you know, Owen Muffet scores five goals and you win 10 nothing, it's better than not playing competitive football. Some might say that's not competitive, but it's not like that every week. I mean, there, there are some very good sides down there. I mean, do you think it's something that... Um, the authorities and the clubs will accept going forward. I know it's just a one-year trial, but beyond this season, do you think it's something that will continue, that we will have a club in the pyramid? I think it's too early to call, yeah. I mean, obviously, have you seen a, a, a pattern of consistent 10-0 recorded victories, you know, then perhaps they would reevaluate at the end of the season. But right now, I think as well, people forget we operate in Scotland. It's not a big country. You know, you're not expecting the fifth tier or the fourth tier of Scottish football, the fifth tier it is, of Scottish football to have, you know, loads of quality as well as having four professional leagues above it or semi-professional leagues above it. We're now talking about teams in here. Was there 42 uh, SPFL clubs? And now you're looking, like, to the latter 40s into the 50s clubs in a Scotland, a, a country with a population of 5 million. 
you're not you can't tell me you're expecting, you know, deaths of quality in the, the non league the, the non league game. I think Natasha's absolutely spot and there'll be some teams that will be more, more probably more uh, you know, well off than other clubs and perhaps have had bigger budgets and attracted players who want to pursue careers elsewhere but still play football to a decent level. There'll, there'll probably be a couple of clubs at that that will give the Colts a good game. The rest of the teams that may well be there. There is a disparity between Celtic Colts and the rest. The only way to get better is by playing better opposition though. So hopefully it encourages the clubs and it does improve them over the next year. It may well be looked at in a negative light as well if we do see too many score lines with 10, although I'm predicting the first team to do that as well this season. Yeah, we'll come back to that because um, you, you announced that yesterday, Russell, and we shall see the closest I ever saw. I think we beat Arbroath 9-0 when uh, Danny McGrain was the manager of Arbroath, and I remember beating Mark McGee's Aberdeen 9-0 at Celtic Park, mm-hmm. and I'm sure Hooper scored five that day. Paddy McCourt came on and scored a penalty kick. Strange love the doctor, I tend to agree with this, Nicole, should be allowed to work their way up and find their level. If promotion was allowed and it's not going to be this season, then they would inevitably find their level and then I'm pretty sure the club would continue to invest until they were happy that they were playing at a level that was going to develop the young players and prevent them from leaving for pathways elsewhere. So big week of football this week, Natasha, we've got the Champions League and also the Europa League tomorrow. We will be covering both games Hopefully, we'll get two victories, but they're two very, very tough games against big opposition. We will cover every kick of the ball. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved. If you're watching on YouTube, then subscribe. You will be in for monthly prizes free. This month, it's a Fratelli's Platinum Disc. Next month, it's a bit of concept kit. With artwork, Russell, we go from one to the next. We've got loads of framed right. items here, signed Bobby Lennox stuff, all that kind of, all that kind of memorabilia, and we'll be giving it away. So just subscribe, and whilst you do that, stick on the notifications, and they will tell you every time Axom comes back on. We will be back at two o'clock with the state of politics. We Declan McConville and Patrick McGill will be joined by Kevin McKenna who is a great commentator of politics as well as being a big Celtic fan. He, in actual fact, edited my first book on the Quality Street Gang. A really good guy. I look forward to that at two o'clock. And then at six o'clock, the State of Scottish Football tonight, followed by Russell and Kevin, who will be getting into the DeLorean to go back to, I think, 1991 yeah. on Schema Celica. Look forward to all of that. All that's left for me to say is thank you, Russell Boyce, and Natasha Miko for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's E-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iHeartResults.com for more Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network 
Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Network.